This is Katrin with Disability Rights New York. Welcome to our podcast, Empire State of Rights, closed captioned. We are here to bring you information on the most relevant topics regarding disability rights and advocacy. It's National Disability Employment Awareness Month, so for the duration of October, we are highlighting subjects regarding employment for people with disabilities. Today we have Will Tronzer, fellow here at DRNY. He's here to discuss the gig economy and its effects on workers with disabilities. Welcome back, Will. How are you today? I'm doing good. How about you? Very well, thank you. All right, Will, our audience members and myself included up until a couple of weeks ago, I really didn't know what the gig economy was. Can you talk to us about that? Sure, of course. So, you know, the gig economy is actually something that's pretty difficult to define because there's not one agreed upon definition. But generally speaking, it refers to the growing number of workers in the workforce who are working jobs that are episodic, where they're jumping from job to job. The best way to understand the gig economy is by understanding the work relationships of gig workers. Gig workers have similar work relationships to that of an actor, a musician, and that instead of having like a steady job with one employer, you're jumping from job to job or gig to gig like a musician. And so would temporary workers like with temp agencies, would they fall into this category as well? Yeah, I would I would say that they do. It depends upon who you ask, but you know, all those all those types of people, temporary temporary workers or you know, people who are subcontracted out from other companies and things like that would probably fall into that as well. And what percentage of U.S. workers participate in a gig work arrangement? Yeah, it's once again, another difficult question to answer because the gig economy is constantly growing and there's not a universally accepted definition of gig work. So as I said before, you know, depend upon who you ask or like who conducts the study, you can get really divergent answers. Relatively recently, though, Upwork and the Freelancers Union conducted the most comprehensive study of the America's independent workforce and found that approximately 57.3 million Americans are freelancing. Freelance or freelance work is just another term for gig workers. Um, And the number of gig workers in the U.S. makes up roughly 36% of the U.S. workforce. And the study also found that at its current rate of growth, gig workers will constitute the majority of the U.S. workforce by 2027. And it's actually possible that the U.S. may reach this milestone even faster than anticipated due to the fact that 47% of millennials in the workforce today are gig workers. And as younger generations enter the workforce, they're likely to have, you know, similar episodic jobs. In the studies, is there any research that would support that the younger generation is actually more interested in gig work or are they interested in more long term? It's, it's tough to give an answer for that because it really varies upon who you're asking. I mean, if you're asking why, why there's so many like younger people who are, are taking up gig jobs, people need work. You know, a lot of people are coming out of school and, and struggling to find jobs and those are the jobs that are available to them right now. So they're jumping on and, and, and taking them on. But if they're as to whether they're more popular, it really depends, as I said, upon who you ask. Um, some people say they're great because it gives them these opportunities to do all these different things. And, and some people say that it's really stressful and without getting all the other benefits that go into, you know, being considered an employee and having that, you know, steady same income, you know, week by week. So some of those reasons are going to lead into our next question, which is, what is it that's led to the rise of the gig economy? There's a number of things that have led to the rise of the gig economy. But one of the main reasons is that employers, you know, are really looking to lower their labor costs. Like it or not, employment in the United States looks vastly different than it did in the past. From around the 1950s to the 80s, employers generally relied on an industrialized model of production, depending upon long-term employees as a means to ensure quality and productivity, 
think, you know, your assembly line type of things. And the traditional employer-employee relationship was the norm. And that's what the American labor laws were kind of built around this principal and agent relationship. But employers seeking to avoid dealing with the requirements of federal and state labor laws, like the need to give employees health coverage, pensions, overtime pay, reasonable accommodations in the workplace under things like the Americans with Disabilities Act, and other benefits and requirements started to classify their workers as independent contractors. Now, whether these companies are accurately classifying their workers as independent contractors is something that we don't have time to really go into in this podcast. But the ambiguity in the application of the law as to whether someone is an independent contractor or an employee has made it really advantageous for employers to deliberately misclassify their workers. And that's what really has kind of led to the rise of the gig economy led by companies like Uber, Tess, Rabbit, Lyft, Postmates, and Grubhub, to just name a few, and has created this kind of class of gig workers who, whom employers classify as independent contractors. Really, there's been a cultural shift as well, right? So generationally, we just talked about millennials and their ability to move into this gig economy a little bit more easily, where generations ago that you talked about, you would get a job, you'd stay in the job for 40 years, you'd get your watch, you'd get your clock, and you'd leave. And that's no longer the case. So culturally, we're shifting in a lot of different ways. And So that really is a nice segue into the ADA. Talk about how the ADA is affecting our our workers and how is it that with this change with the gig economy, how is it affecting that? Our labor laws are are a little behind the time and it's not just so much with employment. You know, there's a lot of innovation in the tech industry. If, If you watched you know, Congress interview Mark Zuckerberg and they were asking him, how do you make money? He looked shocked because it seems like something that they that they should know. So it's a little behind the time, but Title I of the ADA, of the Americans with Disabilities Act, that's what we're saying when we're talking about the ADA, uh, concerns employment. And in order for a worker to bring an employment discrimination claim under Title I of the ADA, they need to prove that they're an employee of a company because independent contractors are not covered by Title I of the ADA. Courts have been clear that plaintiffs may only sue defendants under Title I of the ADA if the plaintiff is an employee and not an independent contractor. So unless a gig worker is able to prove that they are an employee, they won't be able to avail themselves of the protections of Title I of the ADA. So it sounds like you're already getting into this, but what are the main cons for workers with disabilities who are working in the gig economy? Yeah, so the big one is that Title I of the ADA and and many other statutes that protect employees don't really apply to gig workers. Um, For example, if you were an employee at a company and you needed a piece of assistive technology or some other reasonable accommodation, you could request that from your employer. And generally speaking, if you were a qualified individual with a disability, your employer would need to provide you with that accommodation so long as the accommodation wouldn't impose an undue hardship on the employer. But as I said, you know, if you're a gig worker and you need a reasonable accommodation to perform your job, you're you're kind of out of luck because you're not considered an employee. Um, another con, you know, and we've already kind of mentioned this, is that there's no employee benefits, you know, no health insurance, retirement, unemployment, workman's comp, and actually taxes is even an issue. You know, since gig workers are not legally classified as employees, their employers do not withhold income tax or social security from their paychecks. Uh, And as a result, gig workers must make quarterly estimated tax payments to the IRS based on what they've earned. While those issues impact all gig workers, they disproportionately impact uh, gig workers with disabilities. If a person with a disability is injured while performing a gig, it may take them longer to recover because of their pre-existing medical conditions. 
Also, you know, an individual with a cognitive issue may have difficulty with the tax paperwork required to not overpay on his taxes from his or her gig income. So are there any processes in place or that are getting started that are trying to resolve some of these issues? And what are some steps that the employees themselves could make towards finding a solution? There's been some moves. I mean, as we've kind of been saying, the American workforce has evolved and the American labor laws need to evolve to respond to these changes. And one way to solve this issue is through legislation to either amend current statutes or to add protections for gig workers or to pass new legislation that would add protection for gig workers. You know, you asked for some examples. You know, right now in California, they just passed a landmark bill that would consider contractors for companies like Uber and Lyft as employees. So hopefully we'll see more of that. Um, You know, also attorneys just need to try and be more creative to help gig workers with disabilities. Right now, there's a circuit split But some appeals courts, like the U.S. Appeals Court for the Fifth Circuit, found in a case called Flynn v. Distinctive Home Care that Section 504 of the Rehab Act uh, allows employment discrimination suits by independent contractors. What these circuit courts have found is that uh, the Rehab Act does not incorporate the employer-employee relationship found in Title I of the ADA. So if you're a gig worker and you're working for a public entity that's receiving federal financial assistance, you may actually be able to um, get some protections from Section 504 of the Rehab Act. But as I said, there's a circuit split, which just basically means that depending upon where you are, courts have come to different conclusions about that, and the Supreme Court hasn't taken up that case yet. And the last part of your question is, what can gig employers do? You know, they can choose to just hold themselves to the requirements set out in things like the ADA. I mean, I think that they should. Whether they will, I don't think they will, but that's something that they that they could do. So I know we talked about some of the cons of being a gig worker in the gig economy, but what are some of the benefits for a worker with disabilities? Yeah, uh, one benefit is flexible work hours, which can be really beneficial for an individual with a disability. So that they can make a work schedule around their disability-related needs. Transportation is also a big issue for a number of people with disabilities. And, you know, a number of gig work jobs allow for people to work from home or or telework, which is another benefit. Um, Another benefit is that gig work may help workers with disabilities to remain in compliance with benefit programs. You know, when it comes to employment, many people with disabilities are required to stay within income limits to remain on some federal and state benefits programs such as SSI or SSDI. And gig work will allow them, you know, greater opportunities to to work while controlling their income. And if, you know, you are an individual with a disability receiving benefits and you're interested in working a gig job or just working generally, you should reach out to the work incentive specialist at WIPA. Um, you can reach out to an independent living center or DRNY PABS programs, and they can work to help you make informed choices about your works so that you're able to work and stay within your income limits. So I just wanted to um, give the acronym meanings for we talked about SSI, SSDI, and WIPA. So if members of our audience are unfamiliar with those, can you tell us what they mean? Sure. So uh, SSI stands for Supplemental Security Income. SSDI stands for Social Security Disability Insurance. WIPA stands for the Work Incentives Planning and Assistance. And I mentioned PABS, which is DRNY's program of protection and advocacy for the beneficiaries of Social Security. Well, thank you so much for clarifying. Is there anything else you'd like to let us know today about the gig economy? Yeah, I mean, 
you know, as I said, it's something that's constantly growing. So if you're if you're an individual with a disability and, you know, you're working a gig job and you're having some difficulties or you think you were discriminated against, always feel free to to reach out to Disability Rights New York. We're we're here to help out. Thank you so much for your time today. It's been wonderful speaking with you as always. Thank you. Empire State of Rights closed captioned has been brought to you by Disability Rights New York, your source for disability rights and advocacy. If you enjoyed our program, make sure to subscribe, like, and share this post. If there is a subject you would like us to discuss, please email podcast at drny.org or comment below. Tune in next Wednesday, where we'll bring you more information on disability rights in the state of New York. The closed captioned version of this podcast is available on our YouTube channel. To listen to more Empire State of Rights closed caption, follow us on iTunes and Spotify.